Welcome to Practical Christian Living. You don't need money to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be. You need faith in Him. You need to hang on to Him with everything you've got, and your Heavenly Father, who takes care of the sparrows, will take care of you. He said in Matthew chapter 5, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Wealth can deceive us into thinking that it will fulfill everything and take care of every need, anything we might be missing in life. But we all know money can't do that. Jesus has promised to provide everything we truly need, and His provision is more than earthly. In Jesus, we have eternal wealth, spiritual riches, and eternity with our Savior. With more on what it means to really be rich, Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary Tucson, as we dive into James chapter 5. Father, again, we want to ask you to bless this time in your word. We pray that our hearts would be right, and if there is anything that's wrong, if we just aren't approaching you properly, or if there's anything in our lives that you want to correct tonight, we are open. We have surrendered ourselves to you. We want to live for you and, and, and live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. And we thank you for your word, and we pray that we would learn from it this evening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If we have learned anything from James, it is that he doesn't pull punches in his letter. His letter holds some of the most stinging rebukes for the church found in all of Scripture. I've said at one point during our study in the book of James, that is one of the heaviest passages that we've ever covered. Remember in the one that he calls us adulterers and adulteresses because we have a fondness for the world? Well, now he approaches, the Bible talks a lot about it, but he approaches a new topic, and his new topic now is money and what money can do in our lives. And he talks to a certain set of people. And James does this often. He sets up someone that he wants to have a conversation with. And we're going to call the people that he wants to talk to in these few verses, the wicked wealthy. That's who we're going to call them, the wicked wealthy. Two things that we want to make sure by the time we're done with this study. Number one, that we are not who he's talking about, that we are not the wicked wealthy. Number two, now some of you guys say, well, there's no, there's no danger in that. <laughs> I might be wicked, but there's no danger in me being wealthy at all. All right. Number two, that how we handle our finances would be pleasing to God. Because when we handle our finances right, whatever finances God's given us, and God has given each one of us here a certain amount, and if we handle it right, then we're living by faith. If we don't, if we're worried about our finances, if we think, boy, God's not going to take care of me and I better do this over here and I better do that there and I better take this here and I better take advantage of this here and you're trying to kind of manipulate the way you're living and not living the way God wants you to live with it, then you're not really living by faith. You're trying to make ends meet by trusting in riches and by trusting in money. And that is going to fail. As you come to the book of Revelation, you learn that the entire world gets rich off of a mystery Babylon. It's a system. It's a nation. We're not quite sure. It's a mystery. <laughs> That's why it's called mystery Babylon. But the whole world gets rich off of it. 
And when Mystery Babylon is destroyed, you remember they weep and they cry and they lament and they say, well, Mystery has made the whole, all of us rich. But you also know that the Bible tells us that in those last days, as the seal is torn, that poverty, one of the four horses, is going to ride forth into the earth. And the Bible says that inflation will be so bad. doesn't use that term. It simply says that it will take a bag of gold to buy a loaf of bread. So the world will trust in riches. The whole world will become rich. But inflation will, in time, eat everything up so that a bag of gold is worth a loaf of bread. The moral of that story is invest in bread. No, no, that's not what the moral of the story is. Not at all. The moral of the story is you are not taken care of child of God by your money. You are not taken care of by how much you can stack up and put away to take care of your future. You are taken care of by the living God, the God of hosts, who commands the hosts of heaven, who can take care of us no matter what we're facing or what we're going through. So as we look at this passage, we might be able to say, well, I'm not part of the wealthy wicked, this group of people that James is talking to. But I want to make sure that financially I'm living the way that God wants me to live. And so we'll talk about all of that as we get into it. So he starts off by saying, come now, you rich. Verse 1, James chapter 5. Weep, howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. The word for howl there is to cry aloud. Weep, howl, cry, because miseries are coming upon you. Remember that Jesus told a parable of a rich man and a poor man. Some people believe it's not a parable. Some people believe it's a real story because Lazarus is named in the parable. It's not the Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, but it's Lazarus, a poor man. And generally in parables, we don't have names of individuals. So some believe it's a true story where there's a rich man who dies and Lazarus, this poor man, dies. He's a beggar at the gate of this rich man's house. And they both die and they find themselves in a place like hell. It's a place where, where the rich man is in torment, but the poor man is comforted on Abraham's bosom. And the, the rich man cries out and says, send Lazarus over here. Send him over to dip his finger in some water and cool me off. And he said, no, while you were on earth, you had luxury and he had poverty, but now you are suffering and he is being comforted. So that the rich man found himself with this misery that would come upon him. That is eternal damnation. Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to make it into heaven. And the disciples went, who then can be saved? Now, some people say that he was talking not about the eye of a needle, like a sewing needle, but a gate that was on the front of Jerusalem that was called the, the eye of the needle. You'd make a camel get down on its knees and bring it through. It wasn't impossible, but it was difficult. I don't know. I might be wrong, but I don't think that's what he meant. I think he meant a needle. That riches are so brutal that they can keep you from getting saved. And they are such a barrier that it's like trying to get a camel through an eye of a needle. That's why we can't even flirt with the love of money. And so the disciples' response, who then can be saved, tells me that, that I think that's what he means, the needle and eye of a needle. Who can be saved? And Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So God can overcome those things, and rich people can enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not wrong to be rich. And the Bible tells us as pastors, directs us 
how to deal with those who are rich among us. It says, tell those who are rich among you not to trust in the uncertainty of riches and to give to the poor, be willing to share, and be content. So if you're here tonight and you're rich, the one person or half person who's here, who's really wealthy, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches, but trust in God, be willing to share. That's what we're, it's not that you can't, can't be rich. Jesus told the rich young ruler, came to him and said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He said, well, keep the commandments. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. And the young man, the rich young man said, I've done all of that. I've kept them from my youth. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Note that he didn't say, sell everything you have and give it to me, like the television evangelists of old would do, right, of the 80s and 90s. Those guys spent every day they were on, you got to keep us on the air. We're going to have to go off the air. But all they did was ask for money when they were on the air. When they would say, we're going to have to go off the air, I would say, stop teasing me. Just go off the air already. <laughs> Talk about it all the time. Just go off the air so you're not asking for people for money all the time. They would say, if you give to me, then you can become rich. If you give to me, God's going to bless you. If you give to me, Jesus didn't say that. He said, give it to the poor and then come and follow me and you will have riches in heaven beyond anything you could imagine. And the rich man left poor because he had a lot of money and he couldn't do it. So there were some that he said, you need to give it all up. Probably riches were in the way of that rich young man getting into heaven and he would never get there because of it. The rich that were spoken of in the early church that said were said not to trust in the uncertainty of riches and riches are uncertain. I don't know how much money you might have in the bank now. I don't know how much money you've got put away for retirement in your 501k or your 503c or your 462f or whatever or Roth or rollover IRA you got going on. But it's kind of uncertain, isn't it? Remember the commercial where uh, it's for some financial company and everybody's carrying around this long number, usually in the millions. Everybody's got a number, it says, and will it help us reach your number for retirement so you can be comfortable with your number? Here's the truth. No number's big enough, right? Because however much you get into retirement, something could happen. There could be a housing bubble that pops, like in 2008. There could be inflation that would take off and make your bag of gold useless. You know, they never, they never quote those scriptures when they're trying to sell silver and gold on TV. Right? The uncertainty of riches. Jesus said that a weedy heart that receives the word, it, the word, it, it gets in and it, it's choked out by the weeds, he says, which are the deceptiveness of wealth. Wealth, the deceptiveness of wealth, not even wealth, just the deception of wealth gets into your heart and it chokes out God's word. You don't even have to be rich to have it happen. You can just think, oh, what I need is money. Oh, what I need, I, if I have money, then I'll get, my life will be, if I just get money, then my life's going to come together and that's going to choke out the word of God. You don't need money to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be. You need faith in him. You need to hang on to him with everything you've got and your heavenly father who takes care of the sparrows will take care of you. He said in Matthew chapter 5, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. He said food and clothing, what you eat and what you wear. We say, well, Lord, could you add on food, clothing, house? We'd kind of like that. How about food, clothing, donkey, and we can infer car from donkey? 
right? Something. It says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll read it here in a little while, with food and clothing, you should be content. <laughs> you go, okay, Lord. Because really, we are the richest of all people. We have eternity. Jesus said, don't stack your treasure up here on earth, but stack it up in heaven. Again, it says in 1 Timothy, you can't take anything with you. Job said, we've come naked into this world and we will leave naked. We might leave naked, but you came into this world, you were putting a body in you and you're going to leave with that body. You're going to leave with nothing. And you can't ship anything to heaven in front of you except spiritual riches. And those, Jesus said, stack them up in heaven. Use the ungodly mammon that you've got to make friends for eternity. So we want to take the money that God gives us and we want to use it properly. Those who are rich howl and mourn and cry because miseries are coming upon you and your riches are a barrier spiritually for you. That's what he's saying. He's not saying you can't get into heaven because with God all things are possible. But your riches are a barrier and you need to understand that. Have an understanding that the wealth that you have can keep you from God and the deceptiveness of wealth, the deceptiveness of sin that can choke out the word of God in your life. And so you need to howl and mourn to the last church, the church of Laodicea in Revelation. The Lord says, you think you're rich and you have it all, but you don't know that you are miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They had nothing they thought they had everything, but they actually had nothing. Could there be someone here tonight and you think you've got everything because you're financially well off when in reality you have nothing because there's deception? So all of us, whether we could be the, the, the wealthy wicked or whether we're just scraping by, we're just going hand in mouth. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about poverty and the different Greek words for poverty? There's a word for poverty that just means living hand to mouth. I would say living paycheck to paycheck. A lot of our lives, me and Lisa, we, we lived paycheck to paycheck. That was the kind of poverty. Some of you guys, remember in that study, I had you guys raise your hand. How many of you here are living paycheck to paycheck? There's a Greek word for poor. It says you guys are poor. You can say you're poor. But there's another Greek word for beggar poor. Somebody didn't have nothing. Somebody that's down on the very, very bottom. We're to have compassion on those who are, are poor. Now he says, you who are rich, weep and howl for miseries that are coming upon you. Could those miseries be eternity in hell because it keeps you from getting saved? Could those miseries be that God has expected you to do something with it that you're not doing? You're using it on your own for your own ends, for your own means. He says in verse two, you, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. It's almost as if he, he now speaks like Jesus did. When Jesus said, don't stack up treasure here on earth, but in heaven, because on earth, rust corrodes and moths destroy. Let's talk about gold and silver in their day. There certainly was pure gold and silver in their day, but it was very rare. A lot of their gold and silver had contaminants in it, other alloys that were in their gold and silver. 
If you know anything about gold and silver, you heat it up and you, you take off the dross and you heat it up and you take off the dross until you get pure gold. And pure gold won't corrupt, pure silver won't corrupt. You can bury it in the ground, you can put it right down into dirty, wet water and it won't corrode. But their gold and silver was so unpure that when they buried it, you can imagine, you, you make your landfall, you get a lot of money. Now you go out and you got your silver and your gold, you dig a hole and you bury it. And then you come back five years later. I need to get some money I'm running out. And you dig it up and the bag's rotted and the thing is just rust. It's one big rust bucket because it corroded. You might say, I don't got to worry about that. My money's not in a can out in the yard. And if it is, maybe you got to go dig it up. My money's in the bank. You, you think it's any less corruptible because it's in a bank? You think inflation can't take it away? You think a bubble can't pop and all of a sudden take it away? There is always uncertainty in riches, even in our day when things have changed so much. Commodities, the things you have. Well, I like to have, that's why I like to have gold because gold I get in my hands. I use I got in my hands. I like to feel a gold in my hand because it's a commodity. Well, that's what their garments were. They got expensive garments. They were, they were in, they inlaid sometimes with silver and gold and they were very wealthy and it was an investment for them. But the moth would come in and destroy. Gold can be destroyed as well. Again, inflation can tear it up or the price of gold will drop and then what do you got? It's worth less. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. This is even before they were ever corrupted or moth-eaten. What he's saying is, is your gold, your silver, your riches, your money, your bank accounts, your retirement accounts can't fulfill your needs. They are corrupted and they are moth-eaten. They will not do what you think they're going to do. People allow their marriages to be destroyed over money. People allow their families to be torn apart over money. People allow separation between their children and themselves over money, between their parents and themselves over money, between brothers and sisters over money. And it's all corrupted. It all can't do what you think it's going to do, what it promises to do. He says your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. <laughs> and again, you read, boy, James, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> he personifies corrupted gold and silver that it is going to witness against you. You pile up all this gold and silver because you think it's going to be there for you in your day when you need it. And when you get to heaven, he calls your valueless, corrupted, corroded silver and gold to testify against you. And for fire, corrosion is slow. It consumes slowly. Fire consumes quickly. Now, let's pause in our text for a moment because things have gotten a little heavy in our text, about as heavy as it can be. What are we supposed to do with our money? We have to have it. It's the ungodly mammon. We have to have it to live. So what are we supposed to do with our money? First of all, God gives you this ungodly mammon to take care of your needs. The Bible says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. To the early church, he said, don't take care of that guy who won't work. If a guy's impoverished, but he's working, then great. But if he doesn't work, then shouldn't eat. So he's saying, first of all, take the ability God's given you to work, because he's given us all certain abilities, and use that 
to take care of your needs. Then the Bible says that if a man doesn't take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel. An infidel is ungodly. So he's saying not only are we supposed to take care of our own needs so we can eat, use the money so we can eat, so we can get energy, make more money, so we can take care of our family. So we are to use the money that we get to take care of ourselves and to take care of our family. Then the Bible tells us that we're to take care of the poor. It's part of what we do. How many verses could I go to where we have been told that we're to take care of the poor? It's what we are. It's the essence of what a Christian becomes. Jesus said to the separated sheep and goats. Finally, to the sheep, he said, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? When you've done it to the least of these, now you've done it unto me. That's what Christians do. We care for the poor. We look for ways to help them. You say, well, I don't care for the poor because I am the poor. Remember your little statement about living hand to mouth? That's me. And I don't have anything left over to give to the poor. I want to remind you, it's not about the amount that you give. Jesus stood in the temple watching people give in what was the equivalent of the agape box in the temple. And he watched some guys walk up and give a bunch of money, blow a trumpet. I'm giving this many temple shekels. And he would drop the money in with all the fanfare and people would applaud and ooh and ah. Jesus said, don't do it that way because that ooh and that ah that you get is your reward when you give. And then he said that a, that a widow came by and she put two mites in, less than, a, less than a penny. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, she gave more than any of these others gave because they gave out of their reserves, but she gave all that she had. And when you say, I don't have much, but I'm gonna take care of my family and I'm gonna reach out, I'm gonna help the poor, I'm gonna help someone who's struggling. God said, if you lend to the poor, I will repay you. You might say, well, I'm not going to get anything back. No, you'll get it back. This is the faith that we have, that we say, Lord, I'm struggling. I don't know if I can meet all my bills, but I want to help this person who's struggling. I want to help the poor. I, I want to find a way to be able to do it. And God says, that's the kind of faith, because now you're not trusting in money. You're trusting in God. And God said, I'll take care of you. So the Bible says, give, and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Well, man, give unto your bosoms. It says that God will open up the very windows of heaven and pour out upon you. That if you give, that God will give back to you tenfold. Tenfold. Ten times? What's that in percentages, by the way? Thousand percent? What is it? Ten times? So television evangelists get a hold of those numbers. Well, God wants you to be rich, but you're not going to be rich until you give to me. <laughs> and when you give to me... I got a special blessing on my life. And God will give back to you a hundredfold, I heard one guy say. I got a hundredfold blessing. And if you give to me, God will give back to you. And I think, I wouldn't want to be that guy who's got a house over here in Florida and a house over here in California and a house over here and he's got a ministry headquarters here and a ministry headquarters there and a plane to fly between it all and the average person that gives to him is a 60-year-old single woman. That's the average person that would give to these ministries. Not many of them are around anymore, although there are some. 
who are, are still using money like that. And I wouldn't want to be them on the Day of Judgment. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.